Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We've been in the book of Daniel, and what we've been doing is we've been talking about, hey, what happens when you're in an impossible situation, and then we see that our God always comes along and he does the impossible in the midst of an impossible situation. And this is our third and final week. And I want to start to you by reading in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I'm not going to give you all the context right away. We'll get to that later, but I just want to read this passage to you. It says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, what document? We're going to get to that in a moment. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So the title of today's message, if you're following along, is this, A Theology of the Impossible, Part 2. I know that sequels aren't always as good as the original, but I think, I think that we, uh, we have, we're going to be on to something today. Last week was Theology of the Impossible, Part 1. The week before was a handbook for exile. So Theology of the Impossible, Part 2. Before I address what Daniel was doing when he was praying in Daniel chapter 6, I want to ask a question. How many of you this past week made this statement or something like it? I'm tired. Anybody here say that this past week? Come on, put some hands in the air. I said, I'm tired. Have you ever found yourself just saying, I'm tired because you have nothing else to say and you just want something to say? Like, oh, I'm just tired. It's just an easy thing to say. Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. It, it, you know, it's easy to, I, I say this a lot, actually. I'll say, I'm tired. And then Kim will say to me, it's because you don't get enough sleep. And I'll say, no, that's ridiculous. I get plenty of sleep, Kim. She's like, no, you don't get enough sleep. I said, no, I get plenty of sleep. She said, no, Scott, you need to sleep more. I say, Kim, five hours of sleep a night, every night is more than enough of sleep. And she'll say, no, it's not. And I'll say, yes, it is. And she will not budge. And we just go back and forth. But I sometimes I find myself saying over the course of the week, I'm tired more than I would like to make that statement. Have any of you maybe as well started to have that feeling where you're not just tired, but it moves into like this form of exhaustion or feeling drained and it lasts more than a day? Some of us, this starts to happen when it gets dark outside, what it feels like almost 20 hours of the day here in Western New York. Like, oh my goodness, when am I going to see the sunlight again? You start to feel drained. You start to feel exhausted. You start to feel tired. And sometimes you can point to reasons why. You know, okay, my job has been really demanding lately or, or, or something like that. But sometimes we can't even point to why do I feel tired right now? Why do I feel exhausted? Why do I feel drained right now. And I think some of that goes back to what we talked about two weeks ago when we find ourselves in a space that feels like exile. Exile space is that space where you know you're supposed to be here right now, but you don't really feel like you belong. And some of us, you've, you're in that space, maybe it's with some of you are in school and you're like, I, I don't know if I picked the right school. Like, I think I'm supposed to be here, but I don't always feel like I belong. Or, or some of you, it's with your job. Like, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing this job, but I don't feel like I belong. Some of you, it's in your family. You're kind of the outcast. It's really awkward for you to show up to family gatherings at the holiday season. You're like, I know I'm supposed to be here. I got an invite to this thing, but I, I, don't, I don't really feel like I belong right now. So, some of us, is like, it happens in different groups and settings. Like, I, I know some people who are Christ followers who follow Jesus, but they, seem to, they can't seem to find a church home or they can't seem to feel like they fit in somewhere. And then I know I'm supposed to be here because I'm following Jesus, but I don't feel like I belong. Like, this is a feeling that could happen not just in spaces outside of the church, but can happen within the church. 
Over the past couple months, I've been talking with some different friends who work at ministries and places like that, and they're following Christ, but they don't feel like they belong where they're at. And it's just this weird feeling and this tension that we've all probably had before. It could be within a religious setting. It could be in a non-religious setting. It could be in your job. It could be in your family. It could be at a school. After a while, I know I'm supposed to be here, but I don't feel like I belong. And then some of us start to get a little bit of a victory over that. We start to move forward. Okay, you know what? I know God has me here for a reason. I know that I'm not here by mistake. We're going to move forward. We're going to figure things out. But then two things start to hit you that start to wear you down. Time and tired or time and exhaustion. Time has this interesting way of flying by but also wearing you down all at the same time. I go, where did the time go? Oh man, it feels like I've been here forever. You know, it, it, it has this, it could be time or, exha- or exhaustion, or they, they kind of work together. And if the location that you're in, or the vocation you have, or the school that you're in, or the connections, or your family, if those things haven't wore you down and you've started to move forward, after a while, it's as if time will start to wear on you, or exhaustion, or I'm tired of this. And I imagine that those two feelings, were feelings that Daniel had to be tempted with. The scriptures don't say that, so I am speculating. But as we were reading Daniel chapter 6, where Daniel is praying, looking towards Jerusalem, what we don't often talk about in this part of the story is that Daniel has now been in this exile space for over 50 years. He's pushing 70 years old. He's been here for a long time. And I bet there were times when he would think to himself, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? Because as he would pray and look towards Jerusalem, from his worldview and his perspective and his time period, Jerusalem was the city on the hill. It was the light of the world is what some language would have used, people would have used for that space. So Daniel is constantly on the outside looking in at the space that is supposed to be the light, praying to God, believing that one day he will eventually experience the ideal, but he's here not only no longer in Babylon, but now they're under Persian rule. And I wonder if after 50 years, if every once in a while, Daniel thought, man, I'm tired. Time is really wearing. But what we begin to learn from Daniel and who he was and how he handled this experience was that he began to own the concept and the fact that maybe where he thinks he should be or where the Israelites think they should be is not necessarily where God wanted him in that time. And sometimes we have to trade in the idolatry of that's where I think I'm supposed to be and recognize that the space that we are in is exactly where God wants us. And when time and exhaustion start to fight against us, I believe that there's a supernatural strength that's available to us in regards to knowing God and experiencing his power. And he will allow us to see that he has us in this exile space, not by accident. And there's a strength that can come from him that we can experience and we can see an impossible God show up in an impossible situation. And so I want us to look at the life of Daniel today, specifically in this season of his life in Daniel chapter 6. As, he's, as he is aging, as he has been here for over 50 years, and see how can we move forward when exhaustion and time are, seem like they're fighting against us? How can we become the people that God has desired us to be and see an impossible God do the impossible in this circumstance? And he's like, is this ever going to end? So the first thing I want to talk to you about from the life of Daniel is an impossible response. 
I was initially going to call this point impossible people. And I was like, we can redeem that phrase because I know it has some negative connotations. But then I went to Google and typed in impossible people. There are Christian books on dealing with impossible people. There are Oprah Winfrey interviews on dealing with impossible people. There was a dating website that said six things that an impossible person says while dating them. I was like, this is just really harsh. I'm not going to go into this. There's no redeeming this phrase. It's over. It's bad. So I, what, what else we see? Well, from what Daniel, he doesn't just become an impossible person who does the impossible, but he has an impossible response, an unbelievable response, one that should be challenging for each and every one of us. Before we see Daniel in this circumstance where he has to pray, and we'll get there in just a moment, Look at what the author of Daniel chapter 6 says about who Daniel is. Look at this in Daniel chapter 6. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regards to government affairs. So just stop here for a moment. Can you go back to that one? He says, he began distinguishing himself among the commissioners because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So this new, new Persian king, Darius, he likes Daniel a lot. It goes on to say, but the people who were against him, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men, the guys who didn't like him, they said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Daniel had such high character. He was such a different kind of person that even the people who disliked him, even the people who wanted to say something against him, they said, we can't come up with anything against this guy. He had no negligence. He was, he was not sweeping anything under the rug. He was not cutting any corners. People who were looking for him to fail from a distance couldn't find anything about him. And what I love about this is it says nothing about his gifting. It says nothing about his abilities. And we know that he had a supernatural ability to interpret dreams. They didn't look at him and say, oh, because of what he can do, we can't come against him. It was all about who he was. I don't know about you, but I want to become the type of person who, that no matter what people try to say, or come, that I've become the type of person, I hope that you will become the type of person that, that we have the highest of character Daniel was becoming someone that not even his enemies could say, I, I, we have nothing against this guy. So for each point today, I have an application or a reflection question for us to ask ourselves. And the first question for this point is this, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? This is a question you should ask on a daily or a weekly basis. Ask it to yourself. Ask your closest friends. Ask your spouse. Ask your story group. Hey, who do you see me becoming? Who am I? It becomes very easy to just coast through life and not ever consider who we are becoming. Are you becoming a person of angst? Are you becoming a person of bitterness? Are you becoming a person of divisiveness? Are you becoming a person who's just complaining and fed up and irritated all the time? Who am I becoming? Or are you becoming a person who's filled with empathy, who's filled with care and compassion? and love, and kindness, and Christ-likeness. Who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? This is a critical question for us to consider. I don't know about the rest of you, but over the past six months, I've been hooked on this podcast. Some of you probably listened to it. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. 
I've been hooked on this. They just dropped the last episode yesterday. It's two and a half hours. I've listened to almost every episode of this podcast at least twice because I'm just so blown away by the story. But this podcast traces a church that was called Mars Hill. It started in 1997 and ended up closing its doors in 2014. And, and in this, what basically what they're doing is how did this church rise and then have to close its doors 17 years later? It was one of the most, it was one of the fastest growing and most influential churches in the entire country. If you don't know about Mars Hill, you might know the name Mark Driscoll. He was the lead pastor of Mars Hill. If you don't know anything about Mark Driscoll and you want to know about him, just go to YouTube, type in Mark Driscoll, how dare you? That will tell you everything that you need to know about Mark Driscoll. And I am not promoting that behavior, by the way. But just check that out. So, so this podcast is tracking the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And when I'm listening to this podcast, it's so easy to listen to some of these stories of maybe spiritual or authoritarian abuse and say to myself, those people, how dare they? How could they not see this? How did they not do something? How did they not say something? It's so easy to just point the finger and be like, how could they not see this coming? But then as I, I, I've been listening to it, I, I feel like God's been challenging me to say, Scott, you need to listen to this with a more humble approach. You need to listen to this with, with more heartbreak and less anger. When we listen to stories like this one, it becomes so easy for us to want to point the finger at people and say what they could have done or should have done or didn't do or did do. But maybe when we hear stories like that, we should point the finger back at ourselves and say, who am I becoming? It's so easy to look at what others are doing and who they are becoming and to, and to put others down. But instead of saying, who am I becoming and how am I allowing Christ to speak into my life so that doesn't become me? How are we allowing Christ to speak into our lives so that doesn't become us? And unfortunately, what happened in a case like Mars Hill, there's so many things that went into this. But sometimes what happens is we get so focused on what people can do that we don't become concerned about who they are. Which I say, oh, well, they can do this. They can do that. They're so gifted in this. They're so gifted in that. And so we start to just sweep things under the rug because, well, things are growing. Things are going good. They can do all of this stuff. But like I said, what's so remarkable about Daniel is his character that set him apart was all about his character. It had nothing to do about what he could do. It had nothing to do, oh, he can interpret dreams. We can't come against. No, it all had to do about who he was becoming. Who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? And when the pressures of exile were getting to Daniel, when the pressures of rejection could have been getting to Daniel, he never allowed the exile to shape him, but instead he always allowed God to shape him in the exile. And as you find yourself in this exile space and time and exhaustion seem to be working against you, it's going to be tempting to just say, I'm going to compare myself to other people and put others down and build myself up instead of worrying about me. But we have to be willing to ask, who am I becoming? And recognize that who you are is much more important than what you can do. This reminds me of the words that Paul goes on to share in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about spiritual gifts. By the way, we have a series coming up on this that I can't wait for. But I really want to talk to you about this part right here. Paul says this, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What is Paul saying? I could have all these gifts, and I can do all of these things, and I could be so talented, and all these people could notice me. But if I do not have love, if I am not wrapped up in who am I becoming, if I am not wrapped up in becoming Christ-like, then those gifts, those abilities are futile. 
So we have to ask, who am I becoming? And instead of working for the temporary, work for the eternal. And what we learn from Daniel is that the exile does not have to shape us, but God can shape us into exile. And Daniel may have been looking to Jerusalem, the place that was known as the light. But I think that what Daniel began to understand that would be helpful for all of us to understand is that the light is not someplace out there. But when you know God, the light itself has been placed within you. And the light has been placed within you to bring about the presence of God to wherever it is that you find yourself. You are not there by accident and time and exhaustion may be working against you. And you know, I want to get out there. I want to go there. And God is saying, let me make you the light right here, right now and become a person with an impossible response so that you can see his impossible hand at work within your life. Which brings us to our second concept, impossible communication, impossible communication. See, these officials, they, they go to Darius, the king, and they're trying to come up with this way to, to come after Daniel. And they say, here's what we're going to do. We are going to convince Darius to sign this decree that, that you can't pray to anybody except for Darius for 30 days. So that's what they do. They put this decree together where nobody, you can't pray to anyone but Darius. For, and Darius like, oh, that sounds like a decent idea. Not thinking of the consequences. Because like I said, Darius likes Daniel. Darius likes God. So they put together this decree where, where in Darius signs, it says, you cannot pray to God, anybody but me, King Darius, for 30 days. And if you pray to anybody other than Darius, you'll be thrown into a lion's den. Not a, not a very great story. So Daniel hears about this and he's distressed by it. But look at how he responds. This is where we started in Daniel chapter six, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So Daniel hears that this decree is out, that he has to pray, you know, the decree says you should pray to Darius or you'll be thrown into the lion's den. And his response is to look to Jerusalem, get on his knees, turn to God in prayer and open up this line of impossible communication. Just a few years ago, I was with a friend down in the Southern Tier, um, and he was trying to make a cell phone call, and he, he's like, I, he, I don't have service out here. And he said to me, uh, he said, I have a hard time believing that we went to the moon and we communicated from the moon to the earth, but I can't get cell phone service in New York State. Now, I'm not going to get into whether we went to the moon or not, because I know that's as controversial as vaccines and masks. But anyways, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is, we as humans struggle with communication, even communication that's in close proximity. We still, we still miscommunicate with one another. And then we still have limits to our distant communication as well, or areas we don't have service. And so I think sometimes we almost associate that with God, that can God really hear me right now? Does God really care about what's going on right now? Does God really want to get involved with this? But we have to remember that there is this impossible line that is of communication that has been opened up between created being and creator, that we can communicate with him and he hears us. And and that he will respond to us and speak to us. That while we may not be able to understand how that works, he has made it possible. He draws close. And what I love about Daniel is that when the pressures of exile were coming around him, he knew that turning to God was not his only option, but it was his best option. And so he turns to God in prayer. And this brings us to our next reflection question. Who or what am I turning to? When the pressures of the world, when the pressures of exile, when time and exhaustion are coming at you, and then it seems like other forces are working against you, who or what are you turning to? 
It's so easy to say, you know what, I'm just going to disconnect and I'm just going to binge watch some Netflix right now. And sometimes that's an appropriate thing to do. You just got to disconnect a little bit. But is that all that you're turning to? Who or what am I turning to? Daniel didn't turn to himself. Daniel didn't turn to his gifts or abilities. Daniel, in the moment of great stress, in a moment where it seemed as if, oh my gosh, I'm almost 70, what, how much longer is this going to go on? He turns to God and opens up that line of impossible communication. And these first two questions, they complement one another. Who you are becoming will determine who you turn to. And who you turn to will shape who you are becoming. And Daniel chose to turn to God in this moment. And here's the thing, it gets even better for us because in Daniel's structure, in the old covenant, he, you know, he's like, I got to go through this ritual where I look to Jerusalem and I get on my knees and I do all this. And it was, it was this great and beautiful ritual and look to Jerusalem. But hey, we're on the other side of resurrection and the Holy Spirit has now come and the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. God is present all places at all times. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that we can pray without ceasing. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be in a certain religious space. You don't have to be on your knees by your bedside. You don't have to be in any certain, certain place or time. You can talk to God wherever you are, whatever you are doing. We have the ability to open up a line of impossible communication and pray to God and call out to him and he will respond. He will speak into our lives and no matter where you are, he is present, he is there and you can call out to him. Impossible communication. And here's the other thing. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week, if they wanted to, they could have chosen to bow down to the golden statue. If Daniel wanted to, he could have made the decision to, to not pray to God and, and just go along with, with whatever. They had their free will to, to make those decisions. But I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose not to bow to the statue, and Daniel chose to continue to pray to God, one, because they knew that that was God's will for them, and they would be dishonoring God if they made a different decision. They knew that they could not worship a golden statue, and Daniel knew, hey, I still have to pray to God. I, they knew that. But that's the primary reason. But I believe a secondary reason would be this, is that they knew within their heart of hearts that from a human understanding— it may have been easier to just go along with the status quo and bow to the statue. Daniel probably knew from a human understanding it probably would have been easier to just go along with whatever, maybe not publicly pray to God, maybe, you know, just, just, you know, do my thing. From a human understanding, that would have been way easier. But I believe that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't want to just merely exist. They wanted to fully live and to live a life that is abundant and full and free. And they knew that to live the life that's abundant and full and free, they had to be connected to the one who is the giver and author of life. They had to be the one who connected to the one who is over, overflowing with abundance and freedom and life itself. We could all just get along. We could all just, you know, move along and exist in this world. But I believe that you've been called to something greater than just merely existing. You've been called to an abundant life in Christ Jesus. You've been called to a full life in him, to move forward into what he has for you. And when we say yes to him, church, we are not just saying yes to, oh, we're going to follow along this. We are saying yes to living fully alive in him and not choosing just just to exist, but choosing to fully live within the life that he has called us to. So Daniel prays and, and the officials report him. Of course they do. Both this week and last week's story deal with a lot of snitches. These people, these, are, these, are, these guys are not acting like grown men. They're acting like children. Um, so they report Daniel and, they, uh, and then Darius is upset 
he realizes he made a mistake. And, oh my goodness, because I like Daniel and he likes, and he's, he's pretty upset. But he has to follow through with his word. So he chooses to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And Darius's response is so different than Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into, into the fiery furnace, he, said, he was basically said, who could rescue you from me? Darius looks at Daniel and says, hey, I, I, your God will rescue you, or I hope your God will rescue you. Completely different response. Things are a little bit better for him in Persia than they were in Babylon. So, uh, you know, so he throws Daniel down there. And I want to show you this part right here. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but it's just a cool spot for us to look at. Look at what the the text says here. It says, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. Now, Daniel didn't know this, but we know something that Daniel doesn't know because we live on the other side of the resurrection. Our God specializes in rolling away stones from places that were meant to signify death. Our God specializes in taking that thing that was meant to seal your fate and saying, not today, (laughs) not today. And he specializes in taking that spot where the stone was sealed, where it was brought over, where it was meant to say, this is death. This is gone. It's over. There's no more. And he says, I'm going to breathe life into that. I'm going to sustain you in that. And the place that was meant to take all of the life out of Daniel ends up being a testimony of great life for years and years to come. Our God specializes in this. And that's what happens. Darius can't sleep all night. He's upset. He's worked up. And he goes to check in on Daniel. And Daniel's like, yeah, I actually slept fine last night, Darius. I know you didn't sleep super well, but I was good down here with the lions. It was, it was fine. He actually says, oh, my God, he, he, he closed the mouth of the lions. And he was okay. Darius is blown away. Takes Daniel out of the lion's den. And this leads us to our last concept, which has been a theme throughout this series. And it was a theme even in our series back in September. So I think God is trying to show us something as a church. It leads Daniel to a place of impossible influence. It's like, how how could this possibly happen? This Hebrew boy who was taken into captivity under Babylon, who's now under Persian rule, is now brought to a place of impossible influence. We talked about this two weeks ago in week one, that we should not be shocked when our values and convictions do not always align with prevailing authorities. But we should be shocked when we are rapidly losing influence. We should not be committing influence self-sabotage when we speak up about our values. We have to speak up about our values, speak boldly, speak confidently, and then leave the space for the supernatural to work. That's what Daniel did, and that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And so Daniel speaks, Daniel goes to God because he knows that going to God is not his only option. It's his best option. And then he says, you know what, God, I'm going to let you take care of the rest. And God miraculously moves on behalf of Daniel. He that closes the mouth of the line. Daniel's brought out and look at Darius's response. This response from Darius would have been unheard of in the ancient world. For a king to start worshiping another god or recognize somebody else's authority would have been unheard of. But God moves through Daniel to a spot of impossible influence in this kingdom. Look at this in Daniel chapter 6. Darius said, make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is 
one which will not be destroyed. For Darius to recognize that about the God of the universe, say he's the kingdom of all, this is miraculous. This is impossible influence. And he said, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So that Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel is elevated to a place of impossible influence because he trusts his impossible God to do something in an impossible circumstance. Which brings us to our last reflection question. And this is a question I ask a lot at New Story Church, but it's something that we have to continually consider. What story is my life telling? What story is your life telling? When your kids, when your spouse when, when, when your closest friends and family members and your coworkers are looking at your life and reading the story of your life, what story is your life telling? Daniel's story, his life story, it's telling a story of faithfulness to God and a God who is faithful. Of a, of a guy who, of a man who places faith in God to do the impossible and then God did the impossible on his behalf. What story is your life telling and who you are becoming and who you are turning to? What story? Because every single person's life is telling a story. Every single person's life is telling a story. And Daniel's life story was telling a story of a God who is faithful and somebody who faithfully trusted in God. What story is your life telling. I was preparing for this message. I recently watched this Netflix movie with Kim that was based on a play uh, called Tick, Tick, Boom with Andrew Garfield. Maybe some of you watched it. I thought this was pretty decent music. I don't like musicals all that often, but this one wasn't too bad. And uh, one of the songs, Louder Than Words, I was captivated by this line in the song. Uh, It said this, why should we blaze a trail when the well-worn path seems so inviting? Why should we bother blazing a trail when the well-worn path seems so inviting? The status quo, it seems inviting. What everybody else is doing, it just seems inviting. Just complying and moving along, that seems inviting. That seems like the easy way. That seems like the direction to go in. But I love guys like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, we will not go along the well-worn path, but we will instead choose the path that God has for us, no matter the consequences, because we know that our God is the God who will show up. We know that our God is the God who will bring life to circumstances where death seemed as if it was going to prevail. And church, I'm believing that as New Story Church, as we continue on in our Say Yes to God season and even seasons above and beyond and outside of that, that we would become the church that says we will not take the well-worn path. We will not take the status quo. We will not just do what everyone else is doing, but we will blaze a trail and we will take steps of faith into places that we never even thought that we could go to before because our God is the God of the impossible and he will move us forward into an impossible space even when we didn't even think we could go to a spot like that. That when we say the light is not out there but the light has been placed within us and we are going to become the light and we are going to blaze a trail. We will not go, the well. I'm not doing that. We are going to follow after Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We're going to follow after people like Daniel. We're going to above all else follow Jesus who knew that in his death life would come about. Who knew that in the way of life that God, that in giving his life, resurrection would happen. It would have been easier to just get along. It would have been easier for him to just come out and bring a, a, a military victory but he didn't want to just bring salvation to one group of people. He wanted to bring salvation to all of humanity. So he said, I will not just get by, but I will blaze a trail and create a way for everyone. 
And that's who I see us becoming, church. Did you know that in Proverbs 29, it says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. And 2 Corinthians 5 says that in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. Not self-righteousness. That's the wrong kind of righteousness. But in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. Which means that when we grow in the way of Jesus and we grow in the influence that he has called us to, that that should bring rejoicing to our communities because when the righteous enjoys, right, and the righteous increase, the people rejoice. So that when we increase in the righteousness of Christ, that reflects empathy, that reflects understanding, that reflects love, that reflects the very nature of who Christ is, of self-control and compassion, that people will begin to rejoice, that we are here to bring rejoicing to our communities. We are here to bring rejoicing to our city. We are here to bring rejoicing rejoicing to wherever it is that we find ourselves. And we will not give in to the exile identity that's trying to drain us and exhaust us. But instead, we are going to sign up and say, we are going to let God shape who we are. And we are going to become the people who bring rejoicing to wherever it is that God has placed us. But for this to happen, we're going to have to have an impossible response. Ask, who am I becoming? And then say, I'm going to open up that line of impossible communication and know, hey, who am I turning to? I'm turning to God because he hears and he responds. And we are going to become people of impossible influence and know that the story of our life can tell a story of the goodness of God. Daniel influenced a king that when we focus on the story our life is telling, that as the church, we can become the people who influence kings and leaders and rulers and co-workers and families that we will become those people who raise to the influence that God has called us to. And it all starts by asking this question, who am I becoming? I'm gonna throw the band off here for just a moment, but if you would, please, please bow your heads and join me in prayer for this moment.